Good morning. My name is Matt Ward. I've been up here once before. A family and I are a part of Hope, and I appreciate an opportunity to come up here once again. And hopefully, uh, I won't ruin the opportunity, and it'll be the last time. But we'll see. We never know where it's going to go. So, how many of you in this room are the youngest in your family? Let's see some hands raised. Got quite a few. So, okay, you can you can put them down now. It's fine. Um, what's your opinion on hand-me-downs? Now, this, this uh, is going to be more audience participatory than maybe normal, so I'm, I'm literally looking for an answer. Uh, so what is, what, just shout it out, what's your opinion on hand-me-downs as the youngest in your family? They're good, all right? They're good? Anybody hate them? Boo? Boo? Okay, some, some you had, well, if you had all older sisters and you were a guy, uh, <laughs> boo, something like that. Mom made me wear a dress to school. Yeah, it, it probably depended on uh, the style choices of your older siblings, I would imagine, as to whether you appreciated that or not. Maybe you, you saw what your older siblings were wearing and you, you stole them. Um, and so you, you handed them down to yourself. Uh, for me, I, was, I am still the youngest of four boys. And so there was a good-sized gap uh, between me and the oldest. It was 12 years. So I didn't get very many of the hand-me-downs by the time I got to the teenage years where we actually paid attention to what we were wearing, I was already quite a bit taller uh, than all my siblings, which is usually how the youngest works, right? That's the revenge of the youngest, um, is that now you can beat them all up. And, and so I didn't get a whole lot of hand-me-downs from my siblings, but we had friends, right? And I remember one particular time my mom uh, brought in this bag of clothes. This is how hand-me-downs are transported in a trash bag. And uh, so she, she starts taking all these clothes out, and I immediately recognized the fact that this came from someone a generation removed from me. And so the style was no longer what I was planning on wearing, and my attitude continued to express itself as each piece of new clothing was pulled out of the bag. And I think the crescendo was when she pulled out this silver jacket with the Atari logo on the back. Now, I was probably 11 or 12, so this was like... 91, I don't know, um, and this obviously would have come from 81, and I said a comment that apparently was not very uh, thankful to my mother, and the reason I remember this scene is because the way my mom responded was so unlike she had ever responded to anything I'd ever said or done in my life. I had never been slapped, and in that moment, I was slapped. Maybe she was shocked at the fact that I was, I, she had raised such an ungrateful little brat at that moment that I would say, you know, I don't know what our financial, you know, when you're a kid, you don't know these things. And, and for her, it was probably a huge blessing. Uh, ironically, if I was to pull that same jacket out with my oldest child, he would love it and wear it everywhere. This, because it, it's just styles change, right? With every generation, now it would be retro. Now it would be really neat. You know, all the shiny things are apparently in style. At least they were like last year. I can't keep track. But clothing styles change with each generation, right? And how often do we as parents, or maybe your parent, either said it or thought it, what are you wearing, right? What are you wearing? What, is that, what does that deliver? The, the message of, I don't really approve of what you're wearing, or... That doesn't make any sense to me. What are you wearing? Here's the thing, though. In our culture today, 
the world around us wants to treat our behavior, our character, our virtues, our values like clothing, that it, there isn't any kind of standard that maintains throughout a situation or a culture, but instead does change and it's dependent on the mood in the moment or the, or the demands at the moment. And so there's this, there's this change that happens and, and they would deem it as, hey, it's, it's fine. You know, your culture says you'll wear that. Your cult- you know, my culture says that when, and we can treat, we can act differently. It's all, it's all okay. Now, last week, Justin turned the corner in our series in Colossians, where we're talking about Christ as supreme. And, 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 and he spoke of that hinge moment in the book of Colossians and in, in a lot of Paul's writings. And, I, and I, in my mind, I always think of this, especially in Hebrews and Colossians, as they very much mirror one another structurally is that there's a, there's a moment at the beginning of chapter 3 where we go from belief to behavior, or orthodoxy to orthopraxy, which is kind of the, the, the lingo for how are we now living out what we believe. And so in other words, what we believe about Christ and him being supreme over all things should translate to how we live, that he is now supreme over even our decision-making, our values. And so we stand apart from the world. We don't say that how we live and the decisions we make change based on the culture we grew up in or the generation we're in, but that they are transcendent above, above it all because Jesus is supreme above it all. And so I want to read the passage we're going to look at today. We're in Colossians chapter 3. Starting in verse 12. He says this, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Put on then is that primary phrase of where I'm getting this whole clothing conversation from. You see, Paul, in his, in, as he turns this corner, if, if Christ is supreme in our understanding and, and belief and theology, then he's supreme in, in how we, the decisions we make then there are things we shouldn't be doing and things we should be doing. And so he brings up this metaphor of spiritual clothing, I guess you could say, because if you're reading out of a New Living, maybe, or an NIV, you even see it says the word clothe, clothe yourself, this put on. This is an imperative. This is, an art. This is a, a command with an urgent nature. This is the whole, like, get ready now. We're leaving right now. Get, we're, we got to get out there. Put your shoes on. We got to go. This isn't a stand around and think about it for a while. The put on, the clothe yourself, is a match to the put off. So it's almost like Paul is communicating the idea of of the process of sanctification here. That the new self, as we stop doing certain things as the world would do them, we don't stand there unclothed, but we instead move forward. There's a forward momentum in growth in Christ that Paul is pointing out that we are not ever just standing still, right? And so as we are, as the Spirit identifies 
things in us that are like the old self, and, we, and he slowly takes them off, he also identifies new things to put on. And so Paul is saying, put on and clothe yourself. A new self means new clothes. Speaking of children growing up and hand-me-downs and such, anyone ever have a child that outgrew a pair of clothing but would not let it go? Right? You, you've bought new clothes for them. You set them out. You, you've thought through it. Maybe even they helped, but still, you, they come down the stairs or whatever, and they're wearing pants that come up halfway up their legs, shirts that are too tight, their belly button shown. They just can't seem to let go. It's, it's comforting to them. It's what they know, right? And Paul, in the same way, as he begins to communicate what we're now to put on, is saying, you have a new self, so you need new clothing. You don't dress like you used to. And I think this applies not only to new life when you first come to Christ, because for some of us, we came to Christ as a young child, and it's, it's been a growing process ever since. But I don't know about you, but there are times in my life where God very much does identify old self qualities that need to be taken off, and he identifies new self clothing that I need to put on. I'm not what I used to be. I can't dress like I did when I was an immature believer. I'm a maturing believer. I'm a growing believer. My dress is different. And I've always said spiritual maturity doesn't really match physical maturity. Right? You can find an older person in age that is not spiritually older, and it may have something to do with this process, that they've not put on the spiritual clothing because they have a new self. They, they're not matching the new self. And so Paul is communicating to the believers there and, and to us as well, you have a new self, you need a new body. And so he's going to start that by looking at our identity in Christ. And so he's going he's to highlight three aspects of our identity in Christ in, in verse 12. So we see put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Now, there is a much longer list than that that would completely describe our identity in Christ. I mean, you can go back to the first few chapters of Romans, the first few chapters of Colossians, the Ephesians, So many things about the new life in Christ that he could put here, but he picks these three. And I think there's a reason for that. And so I wanted to take a moment to pause and consider each of them in turn somewhat quickly. And the first one is chosen ones. Now, what he is emphasizing here is this idea of representing a new family. In my mind, when I think of chosen ones, it it, it points back to the Old Testament, the people of Israel. They were a chosen people. And we're told time and time again, there was nothing special about Abraham and his, there, it, it's, he didn't earn it, right? It, it, it was grace bestowed upon him that he chose that family to put his name on. And then centuries later, when the prophets are showing up and calling out Israel's behavior, the clothing that they were wearing day in and day out, it was things like, you are not being kind. You're not being hospitable. You've been called to be different. Do not dress like the culture around you. You're to be dressed differently. And the prophets would come and come and come. And they, eventually, God's discipline was laid down on the people of Israel. And one of the primary accusations 
was, you are a people that I placed my name on. I chose you to be different, to be a light to the nations. We are chosen people. As Paul has referenced before, this is a mystery, how we non-Jews were grafted into the rootstock, but it remains the same. It's a, there's a family representation happening here. I, our identity as it relates to the new self, new family, chosen. Holy is the next one, as mine puts it. My favorite definition of holy is set apart for a purpose. And here's some of that audience participation. What purpose? What purpose has he set apart the church you as a believer for? Just throw some out. Okay. Evangelism, glorifying God. Just think about all the church mission statements out there and just throw those out. What else? What was that? Love one another. Very appropriate. Forgive. Okay. Any other purposes? Serve. Okay. Witness. Side note, parentheses, maybe something to meditate on. He's about to give a list of character qualities, not career choices. Isn't that interesting? We wrestle with what is my purpose in life. Maybe God's more interested in how we live than what we do, right? A little side note there. But my thing I always think of, and, and you can flip back with me a few. We're going to be in Ephesians a few times. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, says this. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. One of my favorite sections of scripture is Ephesians 8, 9, and 10, because I feel like it's the whole new self and growth all together. It's by grace you are saved through faith. To what purpose? To go be set apart and do these works for God, to proclaim, to do evangelism, to serve, all of these things that come up. It's a a purpose. We as a people, our identity is bound up in our purpose. As it's been said, why don't we immediately get zapped to heaven when we become a Christian? Obviously, God has more for us on this earth than simply to sit around and wait for heaven. There's more going on. The third identity aspect that he points out, I got to go back to Colossians. We're chosen we're holy, and we're beloved. We are loved. We're loved. There's a, a common phrase that's used in our world today to explain certain actions of some people, and it's that hurt people hurt people, right? Hurt people, comma, hurt people. And if that's true, and I think it is, as we've seen generational chaos and sin repeated, is that it's equally true and maybe even more powerful to say that loved people love people. And if loved people love people, then who we are loved by is even exponentially important. If God loves me, and it's one of those things we hear all the time and maybe don't allow to to stew in our hearts, if God loves me, then how does that change how I love others? The new self, if, if... as I have been loved, so I will love 
others. So that identity, that concept of being loved plays into our spiritual clothing and what we get up every day to put on. And here's where it's another important point to to show the order of this. See, God loves you regardless of the clothes that you put on that day. Notice the order. It's identity, then virtue. It's not virtue, then identity. And the world has a misconception of our faith, of Scripture, to say that this is just a list of do's and don'ts. And if you do the right do's, then God will love you. God will choose you. God will set you apart. God will forgive you. God will give you entrance into heaven. We all know that's, that's not the case, but we're in a world where that gets echoed so often that it's, you have to fight against that, that idea. You have to fight against that idea. And Paul, it's a simple if-then phrase, if chosen, then love. If holy, set apart for a purpose, then forgive. If loved, then be kind, be compassionate. It's not the other way around. It isn't if you love people well enough, then God will love you. So there's, a, there's an order to this process. Growing up, I remember there being a sign very prevalent in most restaurants that you walk into. I guess it's still there. Maybe they don't like highlight it as much, right? The no shoes, no shirt, no service sign. It's still there. Anybody seen one recently? I think it still has to be there because it's a thing. It's a health code. Speaking of kids... You know, how many of you had to wrestle with your kids in a restaurant to keep their shoes on, right? Take your shoes off. As soon as you sit under the table and they're walking around, it's a restaurant. You have to dress appropriately. And in this section, as we, as we move from our identity to the actual clothes that Paul is calling us to wear, it's as if he is holding up a sign and saying, okay, here's your identity, so dress appropriately. Before you go into community ask the question, what are you wearing? Now, this isn't the first time that Paul has used this metaphor of something to put on. Where else has he told us to put something on? Ephesians 6, and what is that about? Armor of God. Yes, gold star. Armor of God. The context of the armor of God is, how do you live successfully as a believer in a, war, in a world that's at war with the gospel? How do you do that? So you have this armor of God, and you put that on first. Well, what's the context here? Community. We're not at war with one another. But we are supposed to dress appropriately so that we can build one another up, so that we can help one another grow. The context of spiritual clothing of Colossians 3 is, how do we as believers live among other imperfect believers in an imperfect world? Well, he's going to mention a short list. And again, there could be a huge number of things, but he's going to run us through a few. And so before we enter into community service, we need to make sure we have the right clothing. So let's look at a few of these. The first one, compassionate hearts. Compassionate hearts. When I think of having compassionate hearts, I, wanna, I want you to think of this phrase, soft-hearted. Soft-hearted. You ever been around someone that's hard-hearted? You know what it means to be soft-hearted. Compassionate hearts. There's, you never know what's going on in someone else's story, right? You never know what 
page of their story they're living out that day and the difficulties that we're bringing into community. And so we're soft-hearted, we're compassionate. Our response is compassion on that person. When I think of compassion and the alternate idea would be living out our own passions, whatever I want, I'm going to force the issue. Instead, we have compassion for that person. I'm soft-hearted. Kindness. It was a, a really popular thing a few years back to be doing random acts of kindness. Anyone do any involved in a church thing about that? I don't know. I guess we, we stopped. Um, hopefully, you're still doing random acts of kindness. Have you ever had a kind act or a kind word given to you in a moment of hurting? How much did that impact you? Kindness, how much does that play into our community? The third thing that he lists, so we're to put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility. I, and, and I'm going to call it the guys because I'm one and I know that we struggle with this because we all want to give the impression that we know what we're doing all the time, that we've got it all figured out, especially by a certain age because the expectation is, yeah, I should know how to do everything by now. And that is why men's ministry is so difficult because we all put a bunch of guys together and we all know how to barbecue better than everybody else. We all know how to fix cars better than everybody else. And, and so pride just kind of puts these walls up and we're all in our little cubicles, kingdoms, our little kingdoms. What does humility do? When we put on humility and we enter into community, whether it's a men's group or, or anything else, it, it builds roads or it builds doorways. It builds bridges to other people's hearts. When you interact with a truly humble person, aren't they so accessible? And you feel like you can drop your guard down because you're not going to say something that they're just going to one-up? And, and, and you have this door into one another's hearts where truly you can commune together in the Lord. So put on humility. Meekness. Another word for meekness is gentleness. And if compassion is being soft-hearted, I think this is being soft-handed. I think we need to leave people better than we found them. Anybody grow up being a Boy Scout, right? You go camping. That was one of the rules. Or hopefully your parents taught you that. You weren't the one that someone else had to clean after. You left it better than you found it. Why don't we treat each other that way? <laughs> Why don't we leave other people better than we found that we put on gentleness and then the last one that we put on in this short list is patience. And he qualifies it in verse 13. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Why? Why bring up patience in this list? Why bring up forgiveness? Why? Because we don't always put on compassion. We don't always put on kindness. We don't always put on gentleness. We are in a community of broken people, and we need to be patient with one another as we all struggle to wear the appropriate attire. Have you ever found yourself completely underdressed at an event? You thought it was going to be a casual wedding, and you're the only one wearing flip-flops? You kind of hide in the corner the whole time, hoping no one shows up. How about this one? Anyone ever shown up to a party you thought was a costume party and it wasn't? 
Anybody just, okay, we got one right there. It happens. How do you feel? You either play it out and just have the best night ever, right? We have to realize in a community full of people that are in, in progress, <laughs> works in progress, that we are going to bump into one another. And sometimes someone's going to be dressed incorrectly for the party. And sometimes it's going to be me. Sometimes it's going to be Justin. Sometimes it's going to be you. And so we're patient. We're forgiving. And we remember, what has Christ forgiven me of? I need to forgive my fellow brother or sister in Christ. He caps it off, this list off, because you're going to say, hey, you forgot one. I didn't forget one. But Paul has a tendency to make these lists and then say, yeah, but really all you need is this one. All you need is love. Someone should write a song about that. And where does he get this concept? Where does the supremacy of love come from? Well, it comes from Christ's teaching. If Christ is supreme, then Paul understands that what he had to say about this concept is important, right? Because they would walk up to him and say, what's the most important command? And what was his answer? Yeah, you said it down here, love God, love one another. It's all summed up. Was Jesus saying that was a big waste of time? I like that. That was a failed experiment. The law, we could have just done that from the beginning. We just showed up and said, hey, love each other. Well, as I like to say, the Old Testament Law was a bit of a training wheel situation. We had to learn a few things as a people, and we didn't. And so Jesus shows up as the fulfillment of it all to say, just love, love, embrace love. A new life means we embrace love. And so Paul often says that to say that, hey, it's all summed up. It's all together if we just love So 14 says, and above all these things put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Now for this verse, if you're looking at your notes, you're going to see a couple odd things. And it's because there's two words out of this verse that I want to highlight. So here's another audience part. I'm going to have you answer another question. Based on the two words I have in your notes at this point, what are the, what do you think are the two words I'm, I'm highlighting out of this verse? So I'm talking about work belts and matching outfits. What are the two words out of verse 14 that I want to talk about? Bind is one of them. Harmony. You guys are smart. Bind and harmony. Over the past couple of years, I've been in a work transition going from mainly a desk job where you typically wear more decorative belting to a not desk job. So I I got into business uh, starting my own home inspection business. So now I am no longer sitting behind a desk. I am everywhere. I'm up on the roof. I'm in an attic. And I quickly realized I could not dress the same. It was a different job. And so I had to get a work belt because I had a tool pouch thing that hung on there and had all these tools. and And I got, I have to have access to all these different tools at any given time. It needs to bind it all together. I have to have it all accessible. And there are times when I start doing the job and I just get busy doing something and I forget to put that piece of clothing on. And it doesn't take very long till I realize it's all just falling apart. I can't keep track of everything. And now I'm losing a tool and I'm leaving it here because I don't have anywhere to put it. Paul, in this idea, uh, this metaphor of clothing, he brings up the fact that love binds it all together. Now this word doesn't necessarily need belt. 
But it does mean to bind a bundle or to make one unit. And in fact, it is also used for ligaments as one body. And, and so it may be here that Paul is just mixing his metaphors, that he's just jumping from clothes to ligaments and body parts that it all holds together because he has you know, spoken of that before as one body. Love holds it all together. But it, it's, it's this concept that, it's, that it, it all comes together. Now, we talked about the armor of God. What was the belt in the armor of God? Truth. You guys know your scripture. You didn't know you were going to be quizzed. It was pop quiz this morning. I just find it interesting, and it's something, again, to maybe write down and consider, meditate later, that the two places, at least for Paul, where he talks about this belt or binding concept or truth and love. We talk about all the tools of the faith, all the disciplines of the armor of God, and the virtues of spiritual clothing that they are bound together with truth and love when you study the armor of god you understand that as a soldier put everything on if you didn't have that belt it all just kind of flopped everywhere and you could not go into battle with your breastplate flying up in your face or your tunic falling out and getting caught in your feet in the same way back then the clothing they wore was very loose and and fitting and so you typically did have some binding material something to keep it from tripping you up in fact, they used to have the concept of, of, of taking your, your tunic, your cloak, and tucking it into your belt when you were going to get ready to run. That's how you girded up your loins for action, that concept. You, you get ready to move. You had to have something to hold it all together. Love is that thing for us. As the new self, we embrace love. Love holds all these things together. We don't have the option to just set aside patience for the day in community and loving one another. The second thing, matching outfits. And here's where I am departing from Paul's idea of clothing because I, full, I know fully well they didn't care about matching clothing, clothing back then, right? It was probably just whatever clothes you had. Most had one pair, maybe two. But today we do. We think about those things. Or at least I've been told that I'm not matching on occasion. Harmony. You don't have to be a clothing designer to see something and think there's something off. That doesn't, those two things don't go together. That's the innate concept of harmony that we all have. Musically, if there's one instrument not out of tune with the rest, you don't need to know how to play that instrument to recognize that there's something wrong. That instrument clashes with the rest. That shirt clashes with everything else you're wearing. Or you showed up in a zebra costume and everyone else is not in a costume. You clash. It, do, it just doesn't, doesn't fit. When Jesus called us to love and we don't, we clash with his character, his identity of what he calls us to be. John 17, in the high priestly prayer, he called us to, he prayed that we would be one. Why? He says, love one another, and this they will know you're my disciples. Why? Because even though the world is of the old self, and they don't know scripture, and they may be ignorant to the things of God, they can look at a church that doesn't love one another and say, that doesn't make sense. Something isn't right there. I'm a horrible person, and I, I don't follow God, but when I see someone that says they're following God and they don't love, it doesn't match. Something that clashes there. I think Jesus saw that, and he also saw our potential to not love one another. 
to follow the world system of self-serving versus self-sacrificial love as Christ calls us to. And so Paul wraps up this section and and we're including verse 15 into this section, and I, and I think there are different people that might say 15's all by itself or it's part of 16. But I do think it kind of makes a, a, a good package that Paul starts with our identity in Christ, and then in 15 he circles back to our identity in Christ, but he does it in a different way. He now is saying, why are you wearing what you're wearing? Is it because of your identity in Christ, or is it because of the culture you're around? And this is so critical when we live in a world where we are still kind of, talking about belts, in the Bible belt. There is still a lot of leeway for us to act like a Christian because we're in a culture that says this is how a Christian acts. So is it that that's leading us? And and why is that dangerous? Because it's changing, right? The belt is eroding. It is not the same. We don't, we more and more live in a culture that doesn't recognize the things of God or is unfamiliar with them. And if that's what we were dependent on to choose what to wear, we're going to find ourselves fully underdressed. In verse 15, he says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. I feel like the culture practices a thing called compartmentalization. It's a big word. And all that really means is, is what I've been describing, is that in every situation, you can choose to wear something different. And why do I think that's happening? Well, all you got to do is scroll through whatever video or social media platform and see crazy instances of road rage. Why are those getting worse and worse and worse? We live in Houston. I think it's like the road rage capital of the world. Why does someone that goes to work every day has a seemingly normal, peaceful existence and then triggers them? You cut off and suddenly they are risking everything, their life, their family's life, maybe if they're in the car, to run this guy off the road. Why? Because they're living in a world that says, well, now the situation's changed. Now you're no longer forgiving. Now you're no longer loving. You need to get revenge. You need to get what you need to protect your own. I had a friend recently comment on there was a situation where someone was experiencing trauma and everyone's immediate reaction was to get their phones out and film it, right? We live in a culture that lacks empathy, lacks compassion. And if we as the church or we as individual believers of Christ allow our culture to teach us compartmentalization, we can come to church and do these things, but then don't do them when we're in a different situation. And that's not what Paul is calling us to. He's calling us to live our lives under a different authority than whatever works in the moment. He's calling us to allow the peace of Christ to rule. I don't think there's a lot of ambiguity there with the word rule. But what is the peace of Christ? Where else did you hear about the peace of Christ? How did Jesus define the peace of Christ to the disciples? He said, I didn't come to bring peace as the world sees it. What does that mean? We at least know what it's not right there. Well, how does the world see peace? The world sees peace in a, in a terms of comfort. Just don't rock the boat. Don't bring up things that might offend. But probably mostly it's we'll have peace as long as, things every, as, long as everything goes my way. And then, then there's not going to be peace. Well, 
what was Jesus' peace? Well, it was really conflict-based because he brought the gospel. And that is offensive to a world that doesn't like the gospel. And so if we are to practice community and embrace love with one another, we allow the peace of Christ to rule because it sets aside our comfort and instead says, what is going to exalt God in this moment? What is going to encourage you in this moment? How am I going to be compassionate with you instead of filming your trauma? How am I going to forgive you instead of having a moment of road rage? This is now what rules our hearts. And now the watching world can say, there is something different about you. You are his disciples because I see your love. So Blake's going to come up with a band, and I don't know whether I'm early or late, but this is where we're stopping. But I want to use the moment of this last song to answer that question we started with. What are you wearing? But now understand it isn't a judgmental parent saying, what are you wearing? It's the Spirit through Paul whispering into our hearts, holding up a mirror and saying, what are you wearing? How did you dress today to come into community with other believers? How are you going to dress tomorrow? And so spend the next few moments as we sing in a little bit of introspection to allow the Spirit to communicate to you and to consider that question of what am I wearing and why? Is the peace of Christ the ultimate authority in my life? Dear God, I thank you for this word of clarity in my life, very important. As I rush from thing to thing that I sometimes forget to put on the right clothes. And then I find myself in a situation where I just said something that was not very loving. I ran out of patience. I forgot that I was loved by you. So speak to us, carry us through this week, carry us through today, and and let us consider that question of what we are wearing. If you are supreme, then you're supreme over even that.